we were at dinner last night, and when you guys went in to order, I was on DD control with the leash. And I, it was the most responsibility I've ever felt with a dog knowing how important your dog is to you. I was like, if I fuck this up, then I fucked up everything. Matt's life is in the toilet. Along with mine. <laughs> Wait, right. it is right now? Matt's life is in the toilet if you fuck up the, his dog situation. Jordan's life is in the toilet if he fucks up my Yours dog situation. Yours would be as well. I mean, your life, a lot of your life, and you could talk on this, revolves around your relationship with the pets that you have currently, a.k.a. Didi Man Tyson, or the dogs you've had in the past. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that is, I would think it's it's one of the, if not the most important thing in your life. Mm-hmm. Right? I would say so. As far as like a relationship goes, to be honest. Well, we're not good enough, man. No, you guys are great, and I love people, but... but Misha and... I have Alex, I have great Finn. relationships with people, right? And those are completely different than the relationship I have with my pets. You know, when you have a pet, you care for the pet. It's different. I don't need to like walk you or wipe your ass or like we could feed try. You. you know, no, I don't want to try with you. No offense. Fair enough. You can you because you can do all that stuff on your own. You don't need me. You know, but like if I left Tyson in a room or in a house that had everything that was necessary, water in the sink, food in the fridge, door unlocked, even for him to go out, he couldn't do anything. He would just waste away if he were left alone, right? Or if you maybe put more faith into your dog and left him for a while, you could come back and he's now playing the drums and starting a podcast. You he, don't know unless you try. He's super self-sufficient. Well, to be honest, this is why neither of you should own dogs. Okay, so to be fair... Jordan shouldn't own a dog. Okay, fine. Yes, to be <laughs> fair. I'm I'm a But don't lump yourself in with that. No, I I'm <laughs> I'm a dog co-parent. However, you, Matt, you go to the nth degree of dog daddyisms. Absolutely. Dog daddy land. Very proud of that. Is there another D that goes with it? Dog daddy. I think duties. I could see myself with a dog. I couldn't. At the point that I would settle down with a family. Okay. Because then I have meaning and responsibility as far as being somewhere. I love the idea that if I want to go to New York this afternoon, theoretically I could and I wouldn't have to worry about what do I do with the pet. Mm -hmm. I like that freedom right now in my life. That's cool. It doesn't really affect me either though, based on my situation. Well, you're a co-parent. Yeah, but if I wanted to go to New York, I could just drop him off, right, with his other parent. I could also, like, or ask, tomorrow. ask your parents or ask one of us. or you, sure. have, you have enough people around you that you could get by. We have that situation as well, Carly and I, where if we want to take the puppy and drop it off at her parents' house, it's okay. Her, her parents are, or her mom, rather, is a, a rescue parent, you know, like takes dogs in tries to help find them homes. So, I mean, there are options. It's not so black and white. If Jordan had a dog, he, he would have options. But it's also very much my choice <clears throat> to spend the small amount of time that I have at home doing what I want to do, and what I want to do is hang with my dog. I actually just wrote a question down about that. Let's get into that. So when this podcast comes out, you're going to be at the tail end. Will that be That will be either be the final week or you will be home 
You get home. I'll get home. Uh, no, right after. Right after episode. Okay, so when this episode comes out, it'll be the final week of the European tour. Now, yeah. you've been home for one week mm-hmm. between the U.S. and the European tour. What have you done to get yourself prepared? Or what have you done to enjoy your time when you only have one week between leaving the country now for, you know, or leaving home again for another month? I really just made this week kind of whatever I wanted it to be. Um, I was just really focused on doing whatever felt right because there's just such little time. I mean, I did work. I worked on every project that I have. Um, We worked out almost every day. We've podcasted a whole bunch. But in my spare time from all that stuff, I'm hiking with my dog. I'm, you know, running errands. He's always with me. Uh, going all over the place. And that's really what I wanted to do. Like, I've been enjoying my sleep, going to bed early. Um, you know, I was actually going to go down to my mom's place down at the beach, but I didn't really want to spend the time in the car when I have so little time home and I have to travel so much coming up. I just kind of wanted to keep it light and just, yeah, do my own thing. It's been really nice, actually, to not be on and around tons of people because my life is about to change pretty drastically for the next four weeks where I'm living on a bus with my band and another band, The Contortionist. We're all doing a bus share. So that's like, I think that's like 15 or 16 people on a bus. Right. And then we're, you know, we're in the venue all day together and we're just, um, you know, I don't mind that. I love, I love the camaraderie that's, that's there. Um, And it's just another switch that I kind of flip in terms of my mindset and like my settings that I have to get used to when I go on tour. But for whatever reason, because I was just on tour for four, for three weeks, I'm home for a week, going out for another four weeks, I really just wanted time to myself. And it's been really nice to recharge. How many bunks are there on a normal bed? Or a, rather on a normal bus? I mean, they're all different. It depends. But like the one that you're getting for this tour to, to house that many people. I think it's like 16, 18. 18. Like, is that, sure it's 18. It's not standard, is it? It seems huge. No, it's a big bus. It's, okay. it's a it's a big bus, but I mean that's. I'm know, thinking of like the really big tour buses that a normal band tours, and I still wouldn't imagine there'd be that many bunks asleep. And I would think like well, you're you're 12. you're not so in Europe. There's double deckers. That's okay. what this is. This that is makes a, sense. This is a double right. decker bus. It's not. You really don't see those in the states as much. Um, but yeah, in Europe, when we go out, we take out if we can a double decker bus, and we do a bus share because it's extremely expensive and you know we've taken out a bus on our own before just us and it's great you have so much room most of them are double deckers but it's just so stupidly expensive and it's just a dumb business move to do that you know do you have a preference of where your bunk is if you had first choice um well so what's interesting about the european buses is that uh it's really just like (laughs) It's kind of like um, they call them condo bunks, sort of, in that there's really only two per side. Whereas, um, like when we take out our bandwagon in the U.S. or buses, some buses in the U.S., it's three per side. Mm -hmm. So I don't really care either way. I mean, I like, I would rather be up towards the front. Um, Why? I don't know. It's just a preference. I mean. Do you think of Metallica? I think of the middle. Like, I want to be in the middle because 
like, you know, Dillinger just got rear-ended on tour right. in Europe. That's terrifying. If I'm in the back of the bus and I get rear-ended, that's not, that's bad for me, but I mean, it's bad for whoever's there. Do you know the Metallica so, story I'm talking about? Of course. Right. Cliff Burton. Right. But, and, and I'm trying to remember, was he, do you know the story? Mm-hmm. Was he, they like flipped, I guess, to see who would sleep, have to sleep in the front versus in the back of the bus. I believe he was in the back or was he in the front? I don't recall. I don't recall. Right. But whatever it is, it's <clears> like... Yeah, I guess, I mean, for, for me, I think that's the only thing I would think about. And then I would try to just compartmentalize that and just, you know, know that, okay, nothing bad's going to happen. If you think about that at night, you're going to be up every night right? worried about that. Right, and yeah, you can't it's control just, it. You need to kind of just, yeah, say, up, oh, I'm moving while I sleep and, you know, Godspeed, whatever happens. But at the same time, you know, that's why finding a driver who you trust is so important. And I mean, for months prior to this tour, many of us on our team, between me and other bandmates and our crew, have been bugging the shit out of our manager to make sure that the bus company that we've hired is giving us Mira, who is our driver, who we've we've toured. This will be our second tour with her um, <clears throat> in Europe. She drove us on the last European tour. And she's amazing. She's like a tour mom. She's one of the toughest, strongest, most sweet at the same time ladies I've ever met. She really wants to get us there safe. She really takes the job seriously. She's been doing it for years. I know she sleeps. I know she's not, you know, doing dumb shit. Um, And she's just great to be around. So that makes us feel more comfortable knowing that we have someone we trust at the wheel and someone we can talk to. And it's not just like driver, no relationship with band. Like she cooks us breakfast. She's awesome. Wow. What, What does she make? She made us eggs and bacon and mushrooms and avocado toast and all sorts of good shit. Tomatoes, onions. I mean, what? I mean, it's like a whole spread. It's great. So every now and then she'll do that. Um, but it's funny. She'll only tell some of us. It's like, look, be up early tomorrow, you know? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yeah, if you're cooking for what, together between two bands, like 25 people, mm-hmm. that's a, I mean, you probably don't have a kitchenette, right? No, you large do. I mean, enough. Those no, are pretty big. Large enough. To make a meal for 30 people. Well, it's not 30 people. I mean, it's, it's That's half why that. you can tell a couple people. But no, it's really just because she wants the ones that she likes more to get there first. <laughs> are, you on, are you on the... Uh, of course. The good, it's probably because you're also part of that breakfast crew that gets up early anyway, and she already knows you're going to be up and at them. But I, I would almost feel like that's great, and that could happen if you're, you're out for four weeks once or twice, yeah, maybe but I, twice. I would want to do as much time as I could exploring. And I know for you, and you've said this in the past about the U.S. tours you've gone on, that you're part of that breakfast crew in the morning. And that seems like that's the most optimal time for you to get out into the city. Totally. But right? it also depends where we are. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of times she'll do that on day off. Oh, okay. How many days off do you get in Europe? <sighs> Not many, four or five. Do you know specifically? Maybe a few more, maybe six, seven. Do you have a preference? I don't like days off personally because it's just downtime. And usually they're pretty boring on tour because you're in transit between two cities. It's very rare that you have a day off Mm. in the city that you're going to play the following day so you can really like get acclimated. Sometimes we do. And when we do, it's awesome. Like I think we'll be lucky enough to have a day off in Stockholm and then play the show the next day, um, I hope. But like, you know, it's I want to play every day. But we we can't because... um, the vocalists that are with us need, you know, a day to rest in between maybe every four or five shows. Makes sense. That must be taxing. 
So I guess for you, just say you were at like a Paul McCartney level where you could really afford to pick and choose how many performances in a row and then with days off in between, uh, knowing your body and just knowing your personality when you're in tour mode, is there a specific kind of three shows in a row, one off? Is there something that you would prefer? If I were in a band that was of that level, I imagine we would do something like three to four days in a city. Because you have to figure too, there's right. there's a if you're that big, then the level of production is going to be huge and you need time to build it unless you have two crews that one is going ahead days before while the other is building and breaking down at the current venue. But um, I mean, if I could do it my own way, I'd probably say four days because you want one day to get to the city, um, kind of get comfortable, get in the hotel maybe. I'm, you know, I'm fantasizing here, but get in the hotel, <laughs> go have an amazing dinner, find like that place to eat. Then you play the show the next two days, play two shows in a row, right? Because we're big enough to sell it out at that point, hopefully in this dream that I'm talking about right now. 75,000 people. Every right, day. of course. And then um, either the next day is a travel day and you can just, you know, like maybe you want to get out of the city. And if you're Paul McCartney, you have the luxury to say, yep, I want to go. Or maybe you love that city and you want to stay one more day there. So I don't know, three, four days. I love that your Paul McCartney impression has now been documented. Yeah, that's a funny story about Paul McCartney as an aside. I have a friend, and if he's listening, he'll appreciate this, named uh, Chris Warner, who uh, has a very, very good talent of getting memorabilia and autographs from some of the most famous people in the world. And there's this, he's, he's older now, he's a couple years older than me, but there's a video out there, um, like some Paul McCartney DVD, where he gets, Paul gets out of his bus and there's like a, you know, there's like tres no trespassing tape and all these people waiting for autographs, like hundreds of people. And Chris just like comes around the back of the bus inside the tape and on camera gets Paul McCartney to give him an autograph, like in the DVD, which is really cool. And like, it just goes to show you that even as a kid, like he was hustling like that. It's pretty awesome. That is cool. But hustling in the sense that he wants it for himself. He's just not going to flip it on eBay. Yeah. Have you ever been to memorabilia? Because I've never really cared <clears throat> about stuff like that. No. I really haven't, but I, there's a lot of people that are, um, and we see it ourselves. I mean, we get offers all the time for things that, that we use, like people ask for old stage um, backdrops, you know, or they want posters or they want, you know, picks or drumsticks or whatever it may be. It's stuff that you can kind of have as a keepsake. Yeah, I mean, that's part of being a fan, I think, is having a piece of what was used by your favorite band. And that's really cool, actually. I get it. No, I, I obviously understand it. I guess for me, I try to have the least amount of things. So it just never resonated for me. But even as kids, obviously I collected stuff like set lists and guitar picks and drumsticks. But I feel like, Justin, you were more into getting it. I remember watching, if anybody is old enough to remember, like Road Rules. The original Road Rules on MTV, and I remember on the first season, there was a girl, maybe Joanna, something I think, maybe her name. Um, she had every concert ticket stub that she had ever gone to. And when I was younger, I mean, we started going to shows, I was five, I remember, but then when we, you know, seen like Brian Setzer Orchestra, but then I remember when we started to go as like our favorite pastime, leisure time, whatever you want to call it, it was our favorite thing to do. 
it was like three, four shows a week a lot of times. I mean, it's all we did. And I remembered, I was like 11, 12, 13, 14, we were doing that stuff. And I really was into this idea of keeping a log of all the bands we had seen. And I still have like, there's a shoebox somewhere down here that will eventually just get thrown away um, or sold on eBay or something where- Let's burn it live. Yeah, okay. Um, so I have that box and that box still has, I, I used to care, I would, I would get- picks and drumsticks and set lists and stuff. But as I got older and I realized that like it was just becoming a collection, I would do ridiculous things. Like I think I was 15 maybe and we saw System of a Down with a bunch of other bands on a local uh, Christmas festival. And I caught a drumstick and I started a freaking bidding war in the middle of the of like where the concession stand would be. And I got like $60 for a drumstick. And I did the same thing at I think a dashboard show in DC. Um, DAR Constitutional Hall, which is great. A, it could be I just, a like, big got rid business. Of it. Oh, for sure. I, I watch. I still watch the UFC. Does oftentimes in this embedded series, which is a video log or a vlog series that'll come up on YouTube a couple days out each day leading up to the pay per view. Which I'm kind of shocked that tonight, as we're recording this, there's a really big pay per view and there was no vlog. And I was I looked today and I was kind of bummed. Um, that generally builds good anticipation. And and almost every time without fail, there's always people standing outside the hotel waiting for the fighters to come out and they have the the poster of the pay-per-view and they get it signed. And that's big business to then put that on eBay or on, on your memorabilia site, whatever it may be. You get a certificate of authenticity and you sell it for good money, especially if you get one of those upper echelon a Paul McCartney style, you know, in that world, like a Conor McGregor, a Ronda Rousey, and Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre, you can get a lot of money for that stuff. Um, interestingly enough, I, when I first went to, maybe my first or second time seeing Periphery uh, at the auto bar, when I stood up above on the balcony, and then I think you finally realized we weren't just bullshitting you, they actually liked your band, remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you put me on the guest list, I got in, but I wanted to support the band in some way. And the best way that I've learned in my later life is like, well, yeah, let me buy a piece of merch that should direct them uh, or it should affect them rather more directly. So I, I bought the uh, the first record on vinyl of which I think I listened to it once and I was like, ah, I don't know, I don't really need this. So I put it on eBay to go to someone and I think I found a Misha guitar pick and I just put that in there so that the person would feel really good about that and it did like $8. So it doesn't always work out in your advantage, uh, you know, the merchandising, that kind of thing. Two things. One, uh, Jordan Dean is watching right now and he said that he bought my 10-inch drum head in Toronto, which is Hell interesting. Yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Thanks, Jordan. Nice to see you here. Um, How did he buy it? Uh, we offer them at the merch table, like used heads. Like we sign them and we draw on them and we do cool stuff with them. And That's smart. Mm-hmm. It's cool. I mean, you got But gotta, I also, at, when I saw you guys at Baltimore Soundstage maybe a year ago, some kid walked out of the venue with one of your symbols freaking out. Was that something that you had just given him or that was also for sale? That was a really broken symbol. Okay. Like busted to hell and I needed to drop weight out of my symbol bag. Right. So, and he was a huge fan. So I gave it to him as a gift and I signed it. That's awesome because for me, it was nice in the sense that I saw uh, a different perspective of someone engaged with your band. And this guy ran out of the venue. He couldn't have been more excited. He's just geeking out with his friends saying, oh my God, look what I got. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like, what a great gift that you could provide in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not a good idea for me to like give away 
symbols, even if they're broken and stuff. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it's like if it gives somebody that experience, then it's worth it in a lot of ways. And, you know, even like the symbol company would be happy to have someone who then is so excited about a symbol with their brand name on it. So, Absolutely. You know, I'm sure Minel's okay with that. But um, what I was going to say too is, you know, if if you're somebody out there that's that's collecting signatures, uh, you're, you want photos and your intention is to resell it on eBay, you know, there's a fine line because, you know, we, we play a lot of shows. We go a lot of places. It doesn't really happen very much in the U.S., but out of the U.S., we run into a lot of, for lack of a better word, skeevy-ass fucking people that don't know who we are. They look at pictures and they, they're like, oh, I think he's in the band. I'm going to walk up to him and make him sign 10 things. And I don't really get down with that because you don't really care who we are. You're simply just trying to make a buck off my name, my face, my music. Fuck you. And like, it really pisses me off a lot of times. And I, I hate to sound so brash about it. And maybe that's an immature stance because it's more promotion for my band. But I guess my point is if you're going to re if, if you're in that business, take time and actually like research the band or even better so that you feel better about what you're doing. Cause I do think it is kind of, gross in some ways, at least do it with bands you like so that when you walk up to somebody, you ask it for their autograph, even if you're, if your goal is to resell it, at least you know that that person's in the band. I can't tell you how many times I've been with my crew members and these guys are like, are you in the band? Are you in the band? Can you sign this? Oh, I'm a huge fan. It's like, no, you're not. Don't lie. So I, I just have a big issue with that bullshit. And I, a lot of us do. It's just gross. That's reasonable. Yeah, interestingly, going back to the UFC thing, I, I've seen Conor McGregor do this with people. He knows the people who are coming up to him to get his autograph sometimes. And this and he's I've seen him talk to these people like this. They're there, he knows what they're doing. They're getting the autograph because they know they can go make a couple hundred bucks, if not a couple thousand dollars, whatever it may be the going rate is for something like that. And he's like, hell yeah, man. He's totally not knocking the hustle. He's like, dude, that's what's up. You waited here. You did this. I get it, et cetera. But, and I feel like if the person liked your band, they probably wouldn't be doing this. You know, it, it, it means to an end. And, I, and, and obviously, I think the bigger picture in that is don't do that if it's going to take away from an actual fan who really wants to meet you and you're sitting there signing 10 things for some moron who all they have is their own vested interest and nothing that has to do with you or your band well, or, it's just, or it's the just, others or the people that really want to meet you. I just think it's disrespectful. Like, okay, here's the difference, right? When we were in Japan last time, there were these two people, maybe more, um, actually a lot more. And I'll give you two examples. There were, there was one time, two people that followed us, bought tickets at the train station just so they could find us there, get us to take some pictures with them and sign their own personal memorabilia because they were gigantic fans. Right. That's amazing. You're willing to buy a ticket that, to a train that you're not even going to get on just to like to go through to, to meet go you. through that because you you don't have any other chance. That's that's awesome. And those are the people that deserve anyone's time like that. I'm not saying our time's amazing or anything like like it's super valuable. I don't want to come off that way. I'm just saying it's like fuck yeah, you're a real fan and you care enough like and it means that much to you. Absolutely. But again, then when you have somebody who's just kind of disrespectful, like are you in the band? Oh, you are. Cool. What do you play? I'm a huge fan. Well, no, obviously, obviously that comes off ridiculous and, and you can just, I guess it's hard to, but you can just say like, you know, no, thank you or whatever you want to say and just move on. 
Yeah, and you so, can do that. You can pick and choose. Not, well, I do, yeah. of course. And like you know, I'll 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 even comment to them and be like, I know what you're doing with this. Like, you know, but I do sign it. I do take the picture, but I let them know that maybe next time they should come back and they should, you know, do it respectfully. So I'm not complaining and not doing anything about it. I do that when I meet these people. I will sign their stuff, but I will essentially tell them my thoughts in a nice way, but I tell them my thoughts. I think the bigger picture in all of this is in whatever you're doing, be genuine, be respectful of others. Yeah. And that's really it. You know, if, if you're going to take the time to go do something, make sure like, yes, you know, like, like last week's episode, know your why, like, why are you doing this? Don't just do things for monetary gain, right? And take your time with what you're doing and choose something that's a little bit more practical so that you can be more respectful in the whole entire process. You don't have to go fake it and like, oh, oh, you're probably someone I could use. Let me use you to sign this real fast so I can go make a buck. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the year, when you get out of this life, are you really going to make some kind of like real impact that you can feel good about? Probably not. Probably not. But you know, there's, there's some people that I know personally that feel really slighted by it who won't even sign those things because the way they feel is it's hard enough for me as a musician to make a living doing what we do. I got to deal with somebody else going out and capitalizing on my likeness and I'm not getting a cut of that. Fuck no. I mean, that's, that's how some people I know really view that, that thing. I'm kind of in the middle. I don't like it when it's disrespectful, but there's some people who are really against it. And that makes sense in the state of this industry. You know, anything that, that, that anyone doing this can do to, to help support themselves or figure out a way to supplement income is important. And when you have people that are taking a signature and selling it for hundreds of dollars, it's like, shit, man, like where's, where's our cut? Like, that's because not fair. Not that you would ever do this, but theoretically, you could just do that yourself. And I would never do that. Of I mean, course. that's 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 lying, right? That's fraud. But at the same time, yeah, we could, but we don't. And I don't know. We don't need to. We don't need to stay on this. But yeah, I was gonna say let's. So let's well, go. To, let's go to the other side of yeah. Finish your point. And then well, we'll I was just gonna say I'm super fucking edgy, like today and yesterday, <laughs> and kind of like all week. Because the tour is coming up? Because I'm leaving. And this is, um, yeah, this is this is like a stressful tour. I think I have some PTS, to be honest, post-traumatic stress. So does this feel like a good place to vent a bit? To like just let Kinda. air some of your frustration and let, and, and at least we'll listen to you? And I'm not frustrated at all. I'm, I'm just dealing with, like I said, post-traumatic stress. The last time I went to Europe on tour, my dog died. Mm-hmm. I wasn't home. And I'm going to the same exact places. I'm going to be in the same exact location for the same exact amount of time uh, that I was when everything went down. And I'm not like sitting here nervous and worried and trying to avoid it. I'm just feeling it. Like I'm on edge. I definitely like I've been having dreams about my dog past two nights, three nights, like and dreams that are kind of like they're not bad not bad dreams, but it's tough. Like last night I had a dream that I was in this big house and I was just going around from room to room looking for Charlie. Mm. Like, and I, and he was there like when I called his name and he came out and he walked over to me and all this stuff. But it's like, I definitely feel that stress. And what I need is to go over there 
and go through it and have a better memory at the end of the tour of Europe, or, or I should say of touring in, in Europe and, and having it go okay. Right. The hard part <clears throat> is also like the scenario at home. You know, I, I have another dog who is older. Who is sleeping on the floor. Who's sleeping on the floor next to me. And, <clears throat> you know, he's older. And I didn't think anything was going to happen to Charlie when I left. In fact, funny enough, Tyson, when I left for that tour, had just had foot surgery. He had a toe removed. And me and, and, and my ex, who's his mother, quote unquote, which I, I'm sure some people will comment on me calling her the mother. Sure, you guys are co-parents. Co-parents. But, you know, she was joking like, he's going to, Tyson's going to be the problem dog. You know, we're going to have to watch out for him. And then two weeks later, my dog in a period of six hours dies like right. out of the blue. And so I, I'm not saying that that's going to happen again. I think it's very likely that everything will be fine, but to, to have, to go through an experience like that, that was that impactful on me and not, think about that. I don't know. I mean, that's just on my mind. So, well, it's good. You're dealing with it. If anybody follows Matt on his Instagram at Matt periphery, you can see a great picture of Charlie and you put out a great post this morning and you talked about what you were going through and you're not keeping it inside. You're expressing everything that you're feeling. And hopefully this tour does go much better. It looks like, I think I checked out this morning just to see where you were going. You finished in the Netherlands. I believe. Yeah. Do you get any time to kind of relax once the tour ends or do you fly straight home? Uh, we play the show on the 27th and we fly home on the 28th. And I'm sure you'd rather just fly straight home instead. I'm sure you've been to the Netherlands before. You've been to Rotterdam, Amsterdam, <clears> probably <throat> hung out before. You don't need to stay there. No, we want like to go home. Experience I mean, that, it. Right, just point, get home. Yeah. And, and the nice thing is it's you're not going on a uh, this like warrior style three month, six month, year long tour. You're going, no, for, you're going for a couple of weeks and you'll weeks. be home. But it's nice. You'll you'll get a chance, and not everyone gets this chance to make a new memory, so that you don't have to always have this feeling in the gut of, well, when I go to Europe, all I have is negative connotations, and that's not healthy for anyone. So anyone who's dealing with something, even though it's really stressful, sometimes you have to take yourself back to that place and form some new memories, which is good because obviously I have empathy for you in that going to these places are going to bring up feelings that were, you know, that hurt. But I think the fact that you see this as an opportunity to face those places, to face those similar experiences, be open to it and thinking optimistically to Justin's point of creating better memories there. I mean, that's probably the healthiest thing you could do or the healthiest outlook you could have. Some people would just avoid it in avoidance of those feelings. Uh, you know, I'm, I probably would if I had the choice. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know why? Because every single aspect of the tour, mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. is going to remind me everything. The bunks I'm sleeping in, the bus I'm on, the same driver, being with my band overseas, uh, you know, taking the ferry that I was on. I was on a ferry from Finland to Sweden when all this happened. It's funny, you know that picture of me and Jeff that we used to promote the podcast? Yeah. That was like five minutes before I got a phone call saying there's something wrong with Charlie. Like that that image was from that night. Who called you? My ex. Okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking 
Charlie was with your parents or mm-hmm. your family? No, he was with her. Okay. So, um, you know, that was, that was a, I don't know. The point is everything about the tour, the venues, everything. It's just, it's reminding me of that. And the problem is I can't get closure with him because as sad as this sounds, I left and that was the last time that I saw him. And that's definitely not the way that I envisioned it. Like I very clearly remember the the last few seconds of as I'm closing the door to my, you know, my front door saying goodbye to him, I remember the look on his face. I remember everything vividly. That's it. That's all I had. There was no real closure with him. And I I don't know. I mean, it's so fucking cliche to say this. And like I'm actually kind of annoyed and I don't know why I'm annoyed, but I'm annoyed because I know that when I go over there, I'm going to have a hard time. I'm sure I'm going to cry. I'm sure I'm going to go through a lot of emotions. And basically I'm being forced to get my closure in a way, in the only way that I can by going back to the places that I, that I was when all this shit happened. And I just don't know if I'm prepared for that because for over the last year and change, I've, grieved and I've let it hit me, but I've also not really been, I don't know. It's like, I haven't been able to face it fully. And I know that I'm gonna, I know there's just no doubt, you know, with so many memories and, and being in those places, it's just going to happen. So I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm hopeful that by going through it, I'll feel better. And I don't want you guys to say you will, because I'm not, I know that I know I may, or I may not. It's not for us to say. Well, I, I'm just yeah, prefacing that. I'm prefacing. Sure, sure. I, I'm. I'm just. I don't need that. Is what I'm saying. Right. Right. No. But I am really fucking. It's not. I don't know if it's anxiety. I'm just like not looking forward to that aspect of it. Yes, I want to go play shows. I want to teach. I want to meet the fans. I love being on tour with people. I. You know, the positives from that whole experience really outweigh the negatives. Well, that's hard to say, but what I mean is when that happened, it was amazing to see my band pull together for me. And we were out with Vale of Maya. We were sharing a bus with them and Vail, the guys in Vale of Maya did the same. You know, they really, everybody came together and gave me a support system and respected any mood that I was going through. Cause I was a fucking mess. Like one day I'd be really miserable. One day I'd be like, fine. And then out of the blue, I'd be crying or I'd be whatever. I mean, angry. I I went through all the stages of grief essentially on that tour, but I had a good support system. I probably drove everybody fucking nuts because they never knew what to expect every day. I bet you didn't. I'm sure they just rolled with it. But I'm going, yeah. And I'm I'm glad I'm going to have that same support system. And I'm sure they will all understand if I do have bad moments, which again, I probably will have. I can imagine it now. I don't want to will myself, but I can see certain things. That I just know I'm going to fucking lose it. And I'm glad that they're going to be there, but I don't know. It's going to be tough. That's where I was going to go because I have a lot of respect for you in this moment of being willing to uh, demonstrate true vulnerability and share all of this publicly. And so it was my guess that because you have this level of comfort to do it through this medium, then I'm sure you processed this a lot and asked for support from your bandmates. And that's incredibly helpful, I'd imagine, uh, relative to being just, say, a stand-up comic having to go through a tour like that. Um, You're going to be around a lot of people. 
And I mean, for me, I would find just solace and comfort in that, even through the discomfort. Yeah. And I, I mean, what I didn't want to do, and I actually like, I set my schedule up like this. Um, I didn't want to basically be busy all the time. So there's a lot of days when I'm not teaching because I made other plans to do things that were more leisurely. Like what? Um, going to restaurants, hanging out with friends, um, just sightseeing in different places, doing different things with the with guys in the band, like just things that we've, we've talked about doing for a while, but I never really get a chance to do because usually I'm booked solid throughout the day with lessons and so forth. But I gave myself that time because I know it's going to be stressful and I'm going to need to be able to focus on me, you know? Good for you, man, especially knowing you. That it's cool to see you taking care of yourself in that way. Because I think a lot of people with big, uncomfortable, scary feelings uh, choose to avoid it, choose to deny them, and then may not be in a position to actually take preventative measures to support oneself, which it sounds like you're doing. So clearly, it might suck. Clearly, it may be really hard. But it sounds like you're taking a proactive uh, approach to love yourself in this moment. And I think that's huge. I mean, we know you very well. And when I think of you on, especially on tour, I think of, aside from, I think what you normally talk about of like the 7.30, 8 o'clock to like 11, 11.30 before you load in, it's go, 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 go until your head hits the pillow. And that's literally how you tell us what it's like for you to be aware and conscious enough that you're going to need that time so that you can grieve and you can, again, I don't think you went through all of those stages the first time around because you're still dealing with, you're not on the other side of those five steps yet. But I think going there is going to be like the first step really out of hell. You're just going to be like, no, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to do what I have to do, but you're going to make time to take care of yourself. And that's, with anything, you need that, right? And I think the, even as, as it's a cliche and you already know this stuff, but yes, you have your support system in the band and that family as well, but you have this family as well. You know, you have us, Jordan and I, that like, if you called us every single day and had a totally one-sided conversation of like, can I just talk and you listen? You know, we'll pick up the phone and you know, we'll just sit there and just listen. And if you're like, I don't want to hear any, anything, I don't want any feedback. I don't want comments. We'll just listen. And that's the sign of like the best relationships that are out there, you know, because it's, it's, we, we get that you need to be selfish in this moment and we are 100% here for you. And you can call us morning, noon, night, or middle of the night because of the time difference, wherever you are, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to be that crazy, but six, seven, eight hour, five hour difference. You can call us. We will listen. You can say whatever the fuck you want. We will never judge you and you just get it all off your chest and grieve and we'll cry with you and whatever. And then you move on and you go to the next thing and then you deal with it again. Right. Yeah. That's it. That's cool. Thanks. Yeah. Damn. And, and I, I know, you know this, but I know tonight and today when you leave here and what you've been doing on this week, you'll make sure that you spend that quality time with Didi who has been sleeping by your side, this whole podcast. Mm -hmm. And you'll say a proper See you later. I wonder why he does that lately. Have you noticed that? This whole week, he's not wanted to lay up on the chair. He's been laying right here. Maybe it's, I think it's, it's, it's cold in this basement. 
and he lays on usually on a couch that we have down here all the time. But I think I think it's comforting. I think he likes laying under here because it's it's super cold on the ground. And you were also gone for three weeks prior to this week. That too. Yeah, I just want to believe that he senses. He's mind. being a boy, and he's just trying to be a boy with his dad. Yeah, I mean, I think he. I dogs are very very perceptive. He's a great to, companion to feelings. I mean, you put your arms up to snap, and he jumped down. Like he knows what's coming. He knows body language. I think, and he's a smart dog. I'm sure he can feel my nervousness my energy mm-hmm. you know but anyway i don't know yeah i i kind of wanted to talk about it I, the thing is i don't uh, even though i express some of this stuff here and whoever's listening is listening i don't feel better but i won't until i go through this and i don't even know if i will you still I, may to not be honest i don't really want to go through it i don't like I don't, I don't know how to explain it i know i need to i don't want to i don't feel like feeling sad but i i'm gonna and there's nothing i can do about that like i can't i just can't fake it you can't be like nope i'm fine everything's good like i'm not gonna it's not gonna ruin my fucking day i'm not gonna sit there depressed i'm gonna go do what i gotta do and be happy and be sociable and all those things i'm gonna be pleasant for people but i know internally i'm gonna be feeling things and i just you know you're only fooling yourself if you try to put it on you know put the facade on that everything's just fucking Great. Yeah, yeah, but you know I what? Mean, but, but but at the same time, it's really important. And this is another reason why I'm I think I'm somewhat frustrated about it, because in those scenarios, when you're surrounded by a lot of people, you can't really be selfish. Like, especially with your mood and with your energy. Because even if even though my bandmates understand how I feel and what I'm going through, that doesn't give me the excuse to walk around and like control the mood of the room mm-hmm. because I'm sad or I'm in a bad mood or I'm feisty, right? You and committed to work. I yeah. committed to work and and part of work is respecting the room. So what I need to do, and I know this is, you know, very, very clearly, like if I am feeling bad, I don't really want other people to see it because I don't want them to feel that right? It, they don't, they're not, they don't have to. So I'm going to go in my bunk or I'm going to go off by myself and get a coffee or I'm going to go sit somewhere by myself and like have that time where it's not going to affect anyone else. And it's a little frustrating because my nature is to wear my feelings on my sleeve. When I'm in a bad mood, I'm in a bad mood. When I'm happy, I'm happy. When you know, when I'm focused, as we discussed yesterday, I'm very focused and it's very hard for me to pay attention to anything else. The thing that I'm working on is changing the bad stuff. So when I'm in a bad mood, I ask myself the things we've talked about in the other podcast. Why am I upset? What can I do to get out of this? Where can I go? The difference is with this is I don't think that there's a Band-Aid that I can put on this. I don't think that there's a, 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 a predictable thing for me to do to get my head out of that place, either you know, preventatively or when it's happening, because it, for some reason, I feel like I need to feel it. Yeah. Right? I, like I, and, but again, there's that balance. Like I think I need to feel it, and I'm not saying I'm going to wallow and be miserable, but I need to go let it out. Right. In the sense that the only way out is through, but it's you gotta feel it out 
and determine how far you go into the feeling, right? So for everyone, it's different when you're processing anything, but it's not like you have to go from zero to 100, right? So you kind of pick and choose. You may go in the bunk and you take 20 minutes to yourself and then you go kind of get into a different mode where you're putting more of your attention and focus and energy uh, to others and go do your meet and greet. Oh, of course. And like, that's what I will do right. 100%. And no one else is is going to experience any of the the pain or negativity that I'm feeling. No one else is going to feel that. Um, but people can have empathy for you and support you through it. Of course. And if I need to talk to someone who's there, I know there are there are certain people specifically on the tour who, you know, I would go to to talk to more than more than others, mainly because I know that they've expressed that to me. They've said, hey, look, if you ever need to talk about this, I know we're going back to Europe. Right. Like I know what that may be like. Let's, you know, I'm here if you need to talk. Even funny enough, Mira, like our driver. Wow. You know, she knows. Well, she like, remembers and she's got that motherly instinct. And obviously she'll try to have you gravitate to her as as well, comfort. And you know what? Interestingly, it was it's different, but Mira went through a loss that was similar to that in that it was extremely unexpected and sudden. And um you know, we can relate on that topic. So it's kind of this, this same understanding of like, we didn't get a chance to say our goodbyes. You know, we didn't have that closure. So how do you get that closure? So I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to the right moment if it happens to talk to her about that mm -hmm. because I really was not ready to talk about that on the last tour. And I think now... I can, like right now, I can talk about this without crying. I couldn't do that when this first happened. And you're doing this very publicly right now, man. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. What, I mean. But to me, it just, it you're demonstrating uh, your ability to support yourself in the big feelings. Again, my view of this whole podcast is if it helps one person to do something like this, then it's worth doing. And maybe somebody else is going through this and they haven't reached the point that I even have, even though I'm not out of the woods, but maybe somebody's at the very beginning. In fact, I know somebody personally um, who, for example, just her dog just passed away. And I sent her a message earlier this week and I just said, hey, if you need to talk, let me know. But she's at the very beginning of this and that shit sucks. I mean, it's like losing anybody. It's it's not just a dog. It can be a person. It can be... Uh, some an item. I mean, look at fucking Castaway. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Wilson. Yeah, when he loses Wilson. Right. So it's like, but that was that was his companion, though. I mean, literally, like. But so was. But but to be honest, that's what Charlie was. No, exactly. I I know that. But that's a per. That's a. I was gonna say a person. But that's that. I mean, that's that's your family. And and yes, the objects could be family. Wilson, I think that's like a far stretch. You know, I mean, I think this brings a little bit of levity to this to this very. But it doesn't. Situation. It doesn't though, because there are there are like kids out there that have their stuffed animal that means yeah, the or world their blanket or something. And and yeah, I, I think, believe me, I know people that are in their thirties that have a blankie. Oh sure, no, for sure, for sure. I think that a, a dog is vastly different from from Wilson. However, Wilson, in context, was pretty much the only thing aside from that locket with the with the girl inside of it. That was all that he had on the island. I mean, that was right. his like companion. That was sure. it, as a thing. But we know that you, you should, not that we're trying to, to preach to anyone, but you should put your your time and your energy and your love into your family. And family is like a dog. 
and then your actual, you know, human family. Yeah. I mean, but I, I have a question about this. So when you are on the road, will you have time to release some of this energy that you may be feeling, even if you're not expressing it as much vocally, stuff that you're dealing with? Will you journal? Will you meditate? Do you have time to go to a gym and work out? Will you work out outside of the the venue or outside the bus? Will you beat the shit out of your drums in a way of expression just to vent and get some of this out of you? Do, are those things you've thought about? Yes. I'm going to beat the shit out of my drums. I'm sure. Because what about of the, this. What about the other stuff? Will you yeah, meditate? I'm work Will you out journal? Day. Will you? No, I'm going to, I'm going to work out. Walk out and scream. I'm, no, I'm going to do what I do. I mean, I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy myself when I can. I'm going to take advantage of breakfast with the breakfast club and get good coffee. And I'm going to eat well and I'm going to have a good time. But my goal is to channel all of this into the show. And, you know, we're playing the same set that we played on the U.S. tour, so I don't really need to think about it. It's a good set. I'm just going to fucking beat the shit out of my drums. I mean, that's it. And I, you know, it's probably not the best thing. It's not the worst thing. Well, I think that's a healthier way than like beating the shit out of yourself. Yeah. Well, it's backline or gear, someone else. So I hope, I mean, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I was really going to add the next question I was going to have was, are you bringing X? Do you bring your own symbols? No. Ah, it's backline symbols. Well, no, it's minor symbols, but I'll send them back to minor afterwards. Right. Okay. Okay. So will they, are there things like as a bass player, the one thing that I remember could potentially run uh, more so than anything else, aside from like breaking a string, which was very rare as a bass player, but you'd have a backup amp. Will you have a backup snare drum? Yes. I get two of everything for okay. the most part. Okay. I mean, not the toms and shit like that, but yeah, like the snare drums. Stuff the that you know you could yeah, I get wreck. I think I get two or three China symbols, for example, because those I really bash the fuck Are out of. Are these Wuhan China symbols? They're not Wuhan. <laughs> but... I mean, that's my outlet, right? Right. That's, a lot of people use drumming as that outlet. It's not often that I look at drums this way, but I am kind of looking at drums this way. And I'm going to have some emotional shows. And I know that. And, you know, I, you know, it's funny. I, one of your favorite bands, Architects, I think about Dan. And you're wearing the shirt right now. But <laughs> Did I, but you I know I was wearing the shirt? No, I didn't realize. But, yeah. but I think about, <laughs> you know, I think about Dan and his loss. And what playing shows must have been like for him in that context. It's, it's gotta right. be intense. We don't need to go down that road. I know that they're, they've moved on. Yeah. Like, I want to say one thing about that. For sure. They've, you know, I've talked to those guys and they're in a really good place and it's good. And I'm, I'm really happy for them, but um, you know, that's going to be my place to fucking let it out. I'm going to leave it on stage every night, especially yeah. with the last song being loon. Right. You, well, so, so for the architect stuff, you know, that, Anybody can look up the band Architects. They're from the UK. Look up Architects UK and you'll you'll find out what happened. Um, that tour, the All Our Gods Have All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us tour was supposed to come to the US last summer. And it didn't make it here until spring of this year, which um, a couple months ago, like a month and a half ago, something like that. I could not wait. I, when when I found out that Tom had passed away. I remember I was laying in bed. I had just woken up and and that was the news. I had like an like an architect's party in my bed. I cried and and I just thought about some of the lyrics which Tom wrote the music and, and the lyrics. Some of those songs and what he was going through and what he was dealing with and how he chose to live out his life the way he wanted to and go on tour 
and play festivals and everything else instead of just staying there and I guess them set it, you know, giving him sedatives and him just being comfortable and passing out, you know, passing away comfortably numb kind of idea. And um, I, I could not wait for them to get here to just let it all out and to get a Tom chant going, which there was three of us that tried to get one going from the back of the room at the auto bar and it wasn't super successful, but I felt great. And then I got to express my gratitude. I was sitting above, um, front of house and, and I profusely ex- just expressed my gratitude to, uh, the dude who was their, their front of house, you know, who's mixing. And, and I was like, thank you for, for making this sound incredible. Thank you for, you know, keeping all of this going and having a huge why to keep all this going. And when I watched the, the, the hometown show, I think it was maybe a Brixton Academy, something of that nature. And I saw the, um, what's the Goldberg stuff? The, uh, sparkler type thing. Yeah. The sparkler type things. What is that called? Like when it rains down of sparks. Yeah. Like a pyro, but like the, like, like the sparks are coming down when that hit. And I'm pretty sure it was in auto bar. No, no, no. Gone with the Wind, uh, I think is the song when and they did it in um in at, London. At Brixton Academy. At, uh, yeah, at Brixton Academy. I'm pretty sure it was Brixton Academy. It was so moving that when I when I saw it get announced here, I could not fucking wait to throw down in his honor and scream and go crazy. And like, you know, I mean, I'm getting I'm 30 now. I still will go into a pit for a show like every time I die and just feel the energy of the crowd. That's wonderful. But that was a thing that I knew I needed to do for architects as well. And, and, um, man, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how you would be able to go through something like that and then still go back on tour and, but they dealt with it, which was awesome and able to, to, you know, speak to the crowd and give speeches in front of thousands of people and go play in front of tens of thousands of people all over the world that, that are there in appreciation and respect, whether they know it or not for the gift that Tom bestowed on everyone. To go back to your earlier point, Matt, about one of the reasons why you want to do a project like this podcast, and you're saying to to share your truth and your experience in hopes of it may help someone else. And I can guarantee, based on the feedback and the stats that we've been able to track with these episodes, there will be people uh, at these shows that, um, I mean, I know this is actually will be published probably toward the end of the European tour, but there's maybe some people that are going to see it in the Facebook group and maybe in those final shows that will hear this episode and know your story. And I think just for them, one, they're going to have this much deeper, uh, more personal, emotional relationship with you as a fan of you as an artist. And I know and can guarantee that you have already accomplished your goal of this podcast by just revealing your truth in a brave way. And, and I think you're doing such a service in just this one episode alone uh, to allow others to feel more comfortable and confident in owning their truth, even if it sucks, even if it's scary or overwhelming. And credit to you. I think that's awesome. If people <clears throat> see you and they've, and they've heard this, you know, towards the tail end of this, yeah, I mean, is, is, is it safe... Hey, go give Matt a hug and just whatever. Is that does that does that like uh, invade your personal space or anything? You know, no, are you cool. a bubble boy? Yeah, I mean, like if you if you see Matt, whatever's going on, you're doing the meet and greet <laughs> stuff, or you just you see him afterwards, like just like throw down, give the dude a hug, bring him a chocolate croissant, 
He loves pastries. He loves chocolate croissants. <laughs> we don't <laughs> hug often, and and I hug most of my it's friends. It's tough for us to hug. Dude, Matt. you're tall as shit. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was gonna say I'm tall. Matt is six foot three. Mm-hmm. Jordan is five six. Maybe I'm like five two, five three. Maybe yeah. It's it's a whole different world to try to hug Matt. I can hug like his belly button, but yeah, we're gonna give you hugs before you leave. Now. We should hug in bed. Everybody's the same height. I, Whoa. Yeah, man, I've thought about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. That said, I'm very much so looking forward to to going on tour as tour. You know what I mean? Right. Forget the setting and the specifics and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm excited to go play more shows. I think we have, uh, I forget how many, but 18 maybe, I mean, it's, 20 it's, some. It's a four-week tour. I yeah. think it's almost... Sunday to Sunday or Monday to Sunday or it's like 20 Monday shows. To Saturday. It's enough shows. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I looked at it earlier and it's like, wow, this is really cool. There are some nights that you, you start somewhere and then later you come back like the Belgium, maybe then you go back and you're playing two different parts of, of Belgium for, for a couple of nights. And then in the UK, you're playing a huge one part of Belgium, but different parts of France, different parts of Germany. Right. Okay. That's what I saw. Like yeah. That. Two shows yeah. in the UK, different shows. In, and there's in Italy. one that I'm sure you're looking forward to where Nolly's going to play. Yeah, in the UK. Talk, uh, talk the, about that one. The London show. Uh, it's our biggest headlining show ever to date for us. Uh, we're expecting it to sell out and should be a great show. Where is that? Um, it's at the uh, O2 Forum, I think it's called. That's awesome. So, it's, I mean, it's, it's a great venue. Um, yeah, and, and we'll have Nolly with us. Which so, I think by great. the time this airs, that show will have already happened. Mm. Are you um, filming that show by chance? Is there something special going to go down that night? Potentially, uh, I'm sure there'll be some content, but no. I mean, if you're asking if there's anything planned, Any specific, yeah, no, okay, not that I know of. And with that being said, what else are you looking forward to in Europe? Are there spots on these days off that you're already planning that you've talked to some of your guys that you're saying, "Hey, we're going." I know you can't go to Noma, right? Can't go to Noma. Right. I had reservations there, and we can't go. Right, which is. When when I found out about Noma, and do you know about Noma, Jordan? I've heard, but so with like the Michelin stars and the best restaurants in the world, the yep. one that was rated the best in the world for three years running, I believe, was it was two rated. years on, one year off, one year back on. I right, think. that makes yeah. yeah, like great adversity. He must have listened to Gene Simmons talk. He crushed right? it. Yes, yeah, so they crushed it. Renee Redzepi, we have books upstairs you can check out. But the the best restaurant in the world that's in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. and Matt's been before, and now there's one. Well, they, there are so, two others now. So they're changing locations right. in, in Copenhagen. They're moving. Okay. Um, and while the new place is being built, uh, they did a pop-up Noma in wow. Mexico. Right. I know. I saw that. I saw that. And they, they've done that before. Like they went to Australia, I want to say last year. But I thought the Australian one was sticking around. Not no, just no, no. They just, they just popped up as okay. far as I know. Um, I could be wrong, but that's, I think it was just a pop-up thing. So... Uh, yeah, we were, I mean, we were going to go there, but we're not, um, but you've been there before and that's a luxury in its own, right? The best rest rated restaurant in the world. It's one of the best in the world. Yeah. Right. It was an amazing experience. And what, what I was looking forward to most was that they're seasonal and they're also based on what's around as far as the, the products that they use for their food. It's all foraged and, you know, uh, brought in locally from the area and each season provides different kinds of products and it's just so good have anyway you seen, have you seen the michelin star documentary i've seen the michelin star documentary i've watched there's a no. there's a documentary on netflix about noma called right. a, a perfect storm um wh- where it's really about renee redzepi um who's 
you know, an extremely driven, talented dude who if anybody doesn't know who he is, you could probably get a lot of inspiration just from watching that uh, documentary or reading up about him. But he's a really, really inspiring dude. Total but, badass. That brings up a good point. And well, I, wait, before you bring up the point, can I just say one thing about food? Yes. Okay. In Stockholm. I love food. In Stockholm. I'm, you Because you asked if there's anything that I'm really yeah, looking forward I to. Yeah, I need to know. In Stockholm, um, there's an account on Instagram called Burgerland. We talked about this. Yeah, go on. Right? That's run by this uh, this chick named Sophie. Um, and she makes her own versions of famous like fast food burgers and like famous burgers from burger joints, but also is a burger connoisseur and knows the best places to get burgers. So I actually reached out to her. And I said, hey, you know, we're playing at this venue. Would you be willing to cater it with burgers? And she declined. She said no. But she did say that she was going to come meet up with, with me and some of the crew. And she was going to take us to her favorite burger joint That's in cool. Stockholm. And I'm fucking excited. Yesterday you said, oh, man, I could go for some In-N-Out burger the best you should ask her to hook you up with a you know like an animal style with her version of the in and out burger right. i'm sure she does like no but i'm just saying that's you know like maybe the appetizer instead of having a salad or something you could have what, what is your favorite thing to get from in and out burger i go there and i get two cheeseburgers single cheeseburgers single cheeseburgers right i get them animal style jordan do you know what animal style is i do hell yeah so i get them animal style and then i get well done French fries and a water cup. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I get the little pet. It's, like it's like the getting a diet Coke with this meal. It's like six bucks for two of the best cheeseburgers in the world. Crispy French fries, those free little banana peppers that you like drip on the burgers to make them mm -hmm. spicy. Oh man, it's so good. Around here, you and Jordan go to burger night on Monday nights once in a while. We do. It's really fucking good at uh, Rocket to Venus. Rocket to Venus. Now, for both of you, great question for the podcast today. What's your favorite burger around around town when you're <laughs> when you're bopping around in Baltimore, dude? Honestly, like when that's, you're bopping that around is, Baltimore, what's your favorite burger? The burger guys? at Rocket to Venus is really fucking good. But is that the best? I uh, don't eat many burgers, but I love that one. The bacon is really great. The vibe of the restaurant is awesome. Yeah, it's it's really good. That's a great burger. Um, Hamilton. Hamilton Tavern makes a great burger. There's a place called Gunther & Co., which is in Canton, that makes a great burger. Um, Matt's parts a and connoisseur labor. of all the food. He goes to flavor country all the time. I do. Parts and labor make a great burger. I haven't. But we, we went there for Justin's birthday, <laughs> and our two cousins are pretty conservative when it comes to trying other foods. So it, they both ordered the burger, but it seemed like an insult to the staff. There. No, 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 no. The the thing was that they ordered the uh, they ordered like the meat tartare cooked. But I don't think a burger was even an option. No, at least that it's night not, on the but, menu. But they have burger meat that they served raw. Well, that, it's that not ask, always an option. But when they have it, it's delicious. So like, what kind of burger is it? What do they use? Do you know? I don't know. But um, Woodbury Kitchen used to make a cheeseburger at the bar that was out of this world. That was like my favorite burger. It was like thick cut, crispy bacon, really, really good juicy patty that was like cooked in like pork fat. I mean, it was delicious. And they stopped making it. And I'm pretty sure when Parts and Labor makes their burgers, Artifact does it sometimes too. Uh, they use that recipe and it's 
fucking amazing. Do you know the company Epic? No. There's a company Epic. They make um, almost like jerky style, but like they'll do like an uncured bacon bar. Um, yeah, they do like a turkey and cranberry bar. They do it. They do a salmon bar. It's a really cool, like primal way to get your meat in on the go. But what they have been making recently is um, different versions of fat, like a tallow. They'll do like a, um, a duck fat. I feel like that is something, and you can find it at, I would imagine in the States at least, you could probably find it in any Whole Foods or a maybe Fresh Market, definitely at Mom's Organic, which we have around here. I feel like you would really get down with buying some good burger meat or a good steak or good whatever from like some fresh place. I know you were at one, uh, a place yesterday, like a gourmet place that you could buy some from some fresh meat. Yeah. And then and then you could easily buy that fat and make, because when we had burger night here, we threw down and it was freaking great. Yeah. So when you get back, we'll have to set up, it'll be summertime, it'll be June. We'll grill. We'll we're going right. to grill outside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you remember what you were going to say before? Because you had a point you wanted to bring up. but You were talking about that restaurant, Noma, and saying maybe the owner of the restaurant, it's someone that you guys can look to for inspiration. And I think that's so important. And I think sometimes people will miss that opportunity. So just say, I'm a drummer and I want to be you know, a successful drummer. Uh, but to only look at other successful drummers may be limiting yourself. Obviously, that makes sense, but I find inspiration uh, through models in different disciplines. And because a lot of these things, just skills and personalities of success, translate to any type of field that you're in. Um, and I think to me, when you brought that up, it just seemed like an interesting place to go in the sense of you can find inspiration in all types of different places. Mm-hmm. I know we, I think we've, we've spoken about and we've talked about um, Cole Cabana, professional wrestler who picked himself. He put all of his chips in his own basket and you love that. You love him, I think, as, as a person because you listen to his podcast and so you know him, not know him uh, personally very well, but you know him as a person outside of the wrestler persona. Right, and a classic example of someone who accomplished his dream and had it taken away, like pretty much right away, and was able to build himself back up uh, at a ground level uh, and find success on his own terms. Um, I I know for me, and sticking with the theme of professional wrestling, just in bands that I've been in, uh, the way that I operated and and helped influence the band from a performance perspective, from a merchandising and just a merch table perspective, uh, I'd credit professional wrestling more so than any other bands that I've seen do it. Can and you give some specific examples of wrestlers who you look at and you see what they do merchandise-wise, presentation-wise, um, the bigger-than-life part of the entertainment aspect of that that you can cite as an example? And somebody could go maybe look at who's a drummer who wants to make it as a musician and isn't really, it is only looking at, say, the the drumming greats that are out there, the Steve Gatz and the Steve Jordans and Steves of the world. What else is there? Well, for me, oh, sorry, Steve Smith. So, Matt Halpern. Steve oh, Halpern. Oh, sorry. Steve Smith. Steve. Who's Steve Smith? Journey. So, oh, okay, okay. That documentary was good. You ever see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good one. I don't think I know anyone's name in Journey aside from if I thought about the- uh, Steve Perry. Steve Perry, another Steve. What is this? All the Steves. And now, what's the guy's name? I don't know. 
no one. I don't know the singer's but name. But he's no. great. He's yeah. awesome. The rest of the band, they're they're in good shape. We should figure out what they do with their lives. Anyway, so give me some professional wrestlers. What well, so Vince McMahon, who owns and operates the WWE, uh, one of the things that has inspired me most from him is the perspective that he took and the vision that he had when he took over his dad's business in the 80s, where at that point, wrestling was territorial. So he had more of the Northeast New York territory. And then there'd be a territory in the Carolinas and in Florida and uh, Pacific Northwest and all throughout the country. And for him, uh, and pretty much all the other promoters at the time, they saw the other wrestling territories as the competition. And uh, kind of you get to the early 90s when Ted Turner bought WCW, which ended up being like the number two and the one big rival at that point in the 90s. Uh, Ted Turner calls Vince McMahon up and says, hey, Vince, I'm in the wrestling business. <laughs> and Vince's response was, well, good for you, Ted, but I'm not in the wrestling business. I'm in the entertainment business. And the way that Vince McMahon uh, had vision for his company was not how can I be the best pro wrestling business that exists and outdo the competition in wrestling. He saw his competition as Disney. He saw his competition as cable TV or Barnum and Bailey, the circus. And for him, he was able to uh, have a, a bigger vision for the potential of his, of his company. The way that that has influenced me is with my business of Beatwell, it's very specific doing these rhythm-based events. And I'll see other people who do this type of work. And oftentimes they're in a bubble and really only networking and interacting with other people who do similar things. And for me, I'm looking at it as uh, I can maybe look at the whole field of corporate team building or the whole field um, of more empowerment group work. And so I'm looking to the leaders in those disciplines as, well, that's where I want to go. And I don't just want to be the best drum circle facilitator. Um, I want to be the best person in empowerment programming. That works really well. Yeah, I, th I thought that was, I mean, that was great. And, and anyone who's interested in uh, what Jordan is currently talking about, you can... Uh, you can get on the WWE Network for $9.99. I think you can get a 30-day free trial. You can check out some of the stuff. There was, uh, as a person who, I can appreciate all the professional wrestling stuff, and I don't, I don't think Matt is as, uh, as, a, as involved with this stuff. I'm curious, though. Is there a documentary out there about Vince McMahon? They're actually making a, a movie about him right now that I think just went into pre-production, but I think it might be up until the point he takes over the business. I would start with the Monday Night Wars because it's oftentimes that you need, especially when I think of like fighting sports and even though mixed martial arts like UFC and Bellator and boxing is very different from sport entertainment, it's generally the guys who get the biggest, they get the biggest because they have someone, a rival, and I think it really took Vince to be Vince. He probably had all these ideas, but really to get the WWE to where it is today, it all, I think a lot of it fell on what happened when there was this number two that became number one. And then he had to find a way to fight through the adverse, you know, the, um, 
yeah, you know, adversity of getting through that. And you can watch the documentary, The Monday Night Wars, of, of WCW's Nitro versus WWF's Raw and how Vince dealt with beating the competition. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of great nuggets I, from that. I'm curious as to his upbringing. I'm curious as to like what shaped him, where he went to school, if he went to school, what the business started as, how it evolved. Like that's what I'm really into because you guys Jordan could just tell you all. Yeah, that. and but you guys aren't the only ones who look at professional wrestling in this way. I have there's other friends of mine that you know basically say it's the best event production ever in the world and check out the wrestlemania they just yeah. did a month ago yeah they do these wrestlemanias in stadiums it's the super bowl of sports entertainment and the the production that they built and and produced throughout the event it's world class like olympic oh, sure. level yeah it's better than a super bowl for sure we've we went to what was the last one wrestlemania 33 32 what was the last one that just happened? 33. 33. So we went to WrestleMania 24 and we went to WrestleMania 28. And I've been to uh, everything from hockey games and playoff Washington Capitals games. And I started that when I was young. I've gone to baseball. I've been to basketball, football. Uh, Paul McCartney. Paul McC I've been to Paul McCartney. Yeah, I've been to, to see Manchester United play at uh, Old Trafford. I think is where they play, right? Um, all that stuff. But I've been to two WrestleManias. They beat everything. That's awesome. Well, and I'm, yeah. again, that's that's what intrigues me about it. Well, next year, if we go to WrestleMania 34 yeah, in New Orleans, New Orleans you'll just come with us. Yeah. Why not? If I can, that'd be yeah. great. I think if I remember, Maxim had a top 100 uh, events you need to experience in your life, and that was high up there for sure. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I don't have much time left, mm -hmm. so we should probably wrap up soon, but um, we did get a question. Mm-hmm that maybe is most appropriate for you to answer because you are rooted in fitness and physical health. I think right before we get into that, because this is health related as well, uh -huh. we should go over something. Last night we all went out, we got some food, we were walking, Jordan had a drink, you know, like an alcoholic drink. And, um, and you said that, like, I think Jordan offered, like, would you like some? And you said, no, thank you, very respectfully. And you quickly just kind of mentioned as like in passing, you just said, I feel like I'm kind of still in tour mode because I'm only home for one week. And we're like, oh, what does that mean? And you said, well, I don't, I don't drink. I don't drink when I'm on tour. You want to, you know, at least uh, shed some light on that? Because I think that's very interesting coming from the perspective of the old school notion of sex, drugs, rock and roll, like drinking, maybe breaks the monotony of like being on the road. A lot of people fall into that trap. One, I've never been a big drinker. Like ever, I've never really been into it. I never really craved drinking. I never really went out with my friends and just got bombed. Never really did that stuff. But specifically on tour, I don't drink because uh, it dehydrates me and it makes me feel like shit. And I need to be very physically and mentally active and on point every day on tour, even on days off. Like I need to give my mind a rest. I don't need to tax it more, you know, or tax my body more. Um, and for me alcohol is just like kind of poison. Now, when I'm home for a while and I'm not on tour, if I go out to dinner, like, of course, I enjoy certain drinks. I enjoy a good scotch. I enjoy a really good gin and soda. You know, um, there's definitely times <clears throat> when I'll enjoy a drink, but I never get drunk. Like, I think it's good though for people to hear just in the sense of you don't have to go out and 
personify what you think is the expectation of whatever you're trying to do. You don't have to go out there and get shit faced and do band prayer and take a shot of Jack or something right before you got on stage. Because Some, I think I think a lot of times you're just you're just trying to cover up what what's your you know you're just trying to mask what you're hiding deep within that maybe you are a little uncomfortable or you are a little anxious before you go out there like it's cool sit with those feelings and deal with them yeah well yes it's exactly <clears throat> it like. I don't know if it's a bad thing by any means, but some of my bandmates just like to get loose before they go on stage. That's what they enjoy doing. So they'll have a glass of wine or they'll have um, some whiskey or something like that. But what's cool and what I really respect about the guys in my band is that it's never in excess. It's it's never like because they need to get themselves drunk. It's right, just like, let's get a little warm up. Let's, you know, it's part of our ritual kind of thing, but it's never like, where did the bottle of Jack go? Oh, Spencer drank the whole thing. Like it's never, it's never that. That's never an issue. So, right. um, so yeah, it doesn't bother me. And you know, every now and then the guys will be like, "You sure you don't want something before we go on stage?" And it's like, "No, I'm cool, thank you." And they, you they should know say that. yeah, and then like throw it behind you as they all take the shot. Like, oh, that was great. Why is the floor so wet? I don't know. I will say the one time or the first time I ever performed drunk, uh, oh, we were uh, so Justin and I were in a band. No, called um. The dialogue at the time, and we were on an East Coast tour in like 2009. And we were playing in Tampa, and we pretty much got paid in beer. It's maybe not the first time I was drunk, but it it was the first time everyone in the band had been drinking. Now, obviously, it helped that we had been on tour, so we were naturally tight because we're playing pretty much the same set every night. But it created this looseness that I also feel when I uh, drink and go bowling, where. <laughs> Everything kind of got easier. And when we played that set, it just felt like everything, it just felt good. That was when I think back on all the shows we played, we played tons of shows, hundreds of shows. That always sticks out as my favorite show. It was when when smoking cigarettes inside venues had gotten, it was banned, but it wasn't banned in Florida. And Jordan was smoking cloves. He's smoking. It's the he, worst. He's, he was wearing a police hat. Brian and Please Drew, who are yeah. was our singer, lead guitar player, they had great witty jokes going on. We impromptu, Brian, Jordan and I with Brian singing and just Jordan and I doing like a rhythm section thing, wrote a song on stage about the place, the Pegasus Lounge. I, and I have this footage. I'm, yes, I'm, the Pegasus I'm, Lounge. I'm going to post this on uh, on YouTube and then I'll, I'll throw it in. I'll throw it somewhere so people can see this. It's It's... Oh, it's ridiculous. But when I think about playing a show drunk, I remember we played Sonar's main stage, which was a venue in downtown Baltimore. And I remember someone who used to come with us that was like, like quote unquote tour manager, just to like help us with whatever was going on while we were, while we were playing the show. Um, I'm trying to pee in the urinal. I've got my head against the wall and I'm so drunk. And this was, I think I was probably like 20, what 20, show was this? 21. Uh, we played with all time low, like two other locals. That was like five days after that accident where I was playing with stitches in my shoulder. Oh, yeah. I don't even really remember. And I don't know, someone, someone headlined who was like touring that I don't really remember. Um, but I remember I started to headbang and literally I think I like fell forward into uh, one of the monitors and had to like push myself up from it. And I was like, never again, never again. I mean, this is this is awful. And the reason that, I find joy in your story is because that's so not you to do it. Right. Clearly, if this is the norm, <laughs> be like, oh, there's Justin again with his fucking alcohol problem. But because 
were. I was freaking. I was straight edge. Uh, you know, up until we sold one of those venues out, same venue, Sonar, and and like I had a couple drinks, and that was the progression. That like we were going out on Friday nights and we were drinking and doing whatever, and you build up a better tolerance. But I still didn't have a tolerance. Yeah, that was so out of the norm. So let's have like just the worst transition back to the question. Wait, Matt has something to say. I just wrote my tour manager and asked him if as part of our rider for Europe that we could request that when we play, the venues are non-smoking. Because I have a really hard time playing shows when all I'm breathing in is cigarette smoke in a bar or a club or a venue like that. It is just awful. So even if we can't do that, if you're listening and you're going to be at the shows in Europe and you like to smoke cigarettes, just don't do it during our set, please. Are there still clubs there that... Oh, yeah. Okay, because I remember even as a 14-year-old kid, I'd go to concerts and just expect to come home and just reek of cigarettes. It was awful. Yeah, It's not like that in the States anymore, but yeah, in Europe it is. Okay. And, And not everywhere. Not everywhere. I should clarify that. But in certain places, yeah, like, you know, and even... My sound guy will be smoking, setting up on stage, and I have to yell at him sometimes too. So, anyway, uh, yeah. Quickly, where are you going to find chocolate croissants while you're in Europe? Everywhere. Everywhere. Bakery is items. The, no, are but is, is there is there a best? Is there a, a city? Is there a unfortunately the best? I won't. For? The best one is in Bath in the UK. Yep. Is that by that uh, coffee award, shop you talked about? Sort of. There's an award-winning baker who is famous for croissants. That's there, and unfortunately, if Joe Hamilton. Is that, is that it? How, uh, maybe right? I would ask Joe. Joe, you said you're you're near Bath, and I know you're. He's in Bath. You're in Bath, and you're great in the uh, in the Facebook group. Yeah, shout out to Joe. You've been fucking killing it in the yeah, Facebook dude. Group. Please, if you are coming to one of the shows, let me tell you something. In London, I've known Joe forever since 2010. Okay, I'm pretty sure. Okay, he showed up for a lesson with me on my first tour in the UK. Showed up. Uh, experiencing some anxiety. He was slightly agoraphobic. He was really anxious around crowds. And that's what what our lesson was about pretty much. And from then on, I've watched him push himself out of his shell and put himself in uncomfortable situations. And I know what he goes through. And Joe and I have a good friendship. Like we've been friends now for a long time. He actually, he helps with GGD. He's composed music for um, stuff that I've done with Alex Wallaber. Wow. Uh, he's a great dude. He's a great, great, great guy. I'm feeling so like I need to get on that plane and go say what's up. You should talk to Joe. Joe's a great, great dude. I and, think we're and Facebook we're both, friends. I want to actually go there and visit him. Me and Joe are are both huge horror fans. He's reading Stephen King's It right now, and I'm you know touching base with him every couple of days to make sure. Maybe I need to get on his level. Well, you know what's funny? So um, I failed in the second. My chapter. other friend Haley, who tuned in during this, I saw her pop in. She's reading It right now as well. Damn. So why don't you get back on that? I think horse? I need the. I'm I'm learning later in my life that. Through podcasting and through listening to podcasts, I think I need the audio version because it's less, it's easier, it's less time consuming. And like wherever I am, I can always just pop that on. And I feel like I would get through that much faster versus even recently, I bought five or six books and I really just don't have the time during the school year to get through them, you know. And, and I mean, I will have some time to slow down, but I feel like I want those to take precedent before it. And when I started reading it, if anyone who knows the story, the night I started reading it, I get into the second chapter and boom, the freaking, uh, and I was reading it online. The 
the power goes out, number one. And so now I'm feeling like, what's the little kid's name who goes down into the basement and is afraid of the basement? Georgie. I'm feeling like, yeah, SS, yeah, good old SS Georgie as he's trying to make it. I'm feeling like Georgie. And then it's like torrential downpour. And I know it, Pennywise, is hanging out in, we don't have any sewers here in this neighborhood, but actually towards the front, we he's there. What are you most afraid of? Like, like an entity. What are you most, like what would scare you? Is there anything that scares you? Like some people are afraid of spiders. Some people are afraid of snakes. Some people are afraid of werewolves. Not really. I'm trying to have more empathy for snakes because and spiders because they get such a bad rep. And like I, I, I saved I, a spider today. I'm pretty okay actually. with it. Yeah, we talked about one that was in the corner of this we'll room. Just let it chill. Yeah, and it's still there. I think just doing its thing. Do you have? Um, do you have like? An, is there like a? Well, when I was younger and I saw Strange Land with D. Snyder from Twisted Sister, he was pretty freaking scary. Okay, so Captain Howdy. Captain Howdy. Yeah, Captain if, Howdy. That I think that because it was very alternative and different. So the thing about it is that that's how it would show itself to you. It wouldn't necessarily be Pennywise. It would oh, yeah, find okay. your it's worst like fear. It's interchangeable. Well, it's a shapeshifter. Right. So it would find your worst fear right. and become and that. prey on that. And figure out what's going to scare you the most. Yeah. I'm really thinking about that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I know that there were times in my life where certain things have come up, certain images will come up, but I try to be as rational as possible in the realization that you can't be afraid of something that's different. And oftentimes it's the things that we're afraid of are the things that are different and the things that make us uncomfortable because we're being ignorant or we're ignorant towards the situation, which don't get that misconstrued. It's not that you're stupid or you're dumb or whatever. It just means that you don't really have knowledge of or you don't know. I used to have an irrational fear of kangaroos when I was young. So there you go. One, one kangaroo would show up and kick you. Right. No, box you. They, yeah, they box. yeah, maybe would box you. Yeah, it's box not an you. emu. Okay, so anyway. let's go. Let let's go to the question from um, Sam. He probably has blue balls now, but it's just like <laughs> teasing this yeah. multiple times. Sam, yeah. where? Okay, so the question is uh, the question's about his knee. So he broke his knee a little bit a couple years ago, or I'm not even knee. sure. I'm he not sure how long ago it was. And he's asking. He's asking. I'll read. I will read the exact question. I just got to pull it up Please here. Stop. So I wish we had a hotline. Like, oh, let's, let's, Sam calls in. Okay, it's called a cell phone at this point. <laughs> no, 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 no. I honestly think that I saw Finn, Finn in the punk rock NBA, post it that Chase Jarvis, the the dude that he works with, is doing this like um, yeah, love, it's like a love, hotline. love line version for creatives is that is that where i think that's what it said yes and you can call in there's like a 1-800 number that you can call and i think that would be i don't know maybe one day we'll we'll try that maybe we'll do an episode where we let people call in and ask some questions and like it's cool just like but if not if you don't feel like calling in you're a little nervous go on we have in chocolate croissants facebook group we have a suggestion box you can just drop the question there thank you justin that's right I now, want a now sam is really i hurting. know he's just <laughs> all right here's the question Verbatim, <clears throat> as a drummer who's been coping with getting over a broken knee for some time now, what are some workout routines that you would recommend that would help with overall endurance, strengthening the weak leg that won't leave him feeling destroyed the day afterwards? Justin? So your best bet, and Jordan came up with this first part of the knee, go on YouTube, it's a great tool, uh, and just pull up different physical therapy ways to rehab your knee from doctors and maybe watch a couple of things. I would recommend the first guy is Kelly Sturrett. I think it's S-T-A-R-R-E-T-T -T, potentially. Kelly Sturrett, it's the Mobility WOD, W-O-D, Mobility WOD. Um, and just look up stuff that's related to the knee. For 
the endurance portion that won't leave you so taxed that you're you're not able to do something tomorrow, I would recommend picking up a battle rope, which is something you can find on tons of sites. You can go on Amazon or eBay, or I generally go on onnit.com, onnit.com to get battle ropes. It's the ones that Matt and I use if you've ever seen any of the videos. And the nice thing is that you can condition yourself almost in sprinting for your upper body or playing the drums. I know you're a drummer. You're, you can play the drums essentially. And think of it really as doing um, snare drum grooves and rudiments. Um, and then you can put on songs and, li- and literally just play the songs as if you're practicing the drum kit that maybe you can't do because that knee is messed up, if that's your kick knee. The only thing I'd add is I'm sure Sam has gone through physical therapy to, to initially heal it and to, to regain strength um, and, and mobility. So if you're doing those and then drumming, really pay attention to this stuff and even write it down. And it's a matter of like really getting focused and taking care of yourself and saying, I'm going to document these exercises and then I'm going to document how soon after I played drums and for how long and then how I felt and really start keeping a log. And I mean, it's easy to kind of just say, I'll just pay attention. But if you really start documenting these things, then you have hard evidence. And by even just documenting it, uh, you're already putting more focus and attention on your process. And, and I think that can be translated to all kinds of things within our lives, but really making it a priority to document our experience and to learn from it. I dig it. Yep. That's great. Great place to end. So we got four episodes to release while I'm away. And then when we get back, we'll have to get into it pretty quickly. Only thing is... I think you're going to do a satellite, maybe the second part with Jeff on the road. Hopefully, yes. That's the goal. Jordan and I have been talking about having another Jeff that we know. That's great. You should do it. musician related to all the same things that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing we got to figure out is I get back on a Sunday. And that's after the fourth episode that we were, or the eighth episode will come out. Mm-hmm. And we're going to probably have to record early on Monday. Monday and put it out at some point Monday evening. So if you're listening to this now, as it was, you know, released through a, a podcast app, uh, next week, expect an episode on Monday, but likely later in the day. Usually we try to have it up as you wake up Monday. So when you're driving to work or whatever it may be, uh, this can be the thing that takes you there. Mark your calendar. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you allowing me to vent my uh, post-traumatic stress and my feelings. We appreciate it too, man. And I, I leave more inspired by it. And knowing that you're physically leaving for the tour tomorrow, I really hope you enjoy it. I really hope you have a good time. Uh, but I really hope as well that uh, with everything that you mentioned, it is a meaningful experience for you. Thank and that you. you'll use us if you need us. You know, I, I mean, for in sure. that sense. We'll be in here. touch. We'll be, we'll be in touch. One thing I, I wanted to say, um, a lot of people refer to post-traumatic stress as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Brandon Bateman, who is a... Uh, He's a veteran and uh, has gone through PTS. He was very careful about explaining the the importance of not putting that last D onto the PTSD because it's not a disorder. That's the thing. It's it's stress that you go through, but the 
the psychology behind making someone feel like they have a disorder has caused a lot of problems with people who experience post-traumatic stress. I'm sure you know about this. We could spend a whole episode talking about this. And should. me being you know, a, a professional of counseling and psychology, uh, I understand both sides of it. And, and even, I mean, some people won't even call a panic attack that maybe some will use the term panic episode because it's all, it, language helps frame our experience. I understand the reasoning why we have uh, a manual of diagnoses and, the, and a lot of it is just insurance-based and from professional to professional, a common understanding of symptoms that people present with. So I understand the purpose of uh, disorder classifications, but I agree that many of us in the field and the public put too much emphasis into that. And great example, someone could say, I have PTSD and use that as an excuse to not be responsible for other things, right? So maybe you're in a, a, a shitty relationship and you say, oh, well, that's just PTSD, right? And it comes back to balance. It comes back to context. But uh, I see your point. I respect that point. I see the other side of the fence too. And I see the uses of it. Uh, it's not black or white, it's not all or nothing, but I appreciate you bringing that up because I think it's a conversation that is rarely had. Yeah, we should have it. And you know, some people have suggested having guests on. There's a lot of people that would be very worthy guests for topics like this that I know. So when the time comes to discuss this topic, maybe we can have some people who have dealt with this specifically from things like combat um, and explain sort of their position on it. Um, so. Yeah, when the time comes, we should definitely dig yeah, in. I think further. this summer we'll definitely get into having guests uh, from very diverse backgrounds that we know will benefit the group, the community. Yep. For sure. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you next time on Chocolate Croissants, the podcast. See you guys. Bye bye. Bye bye. Dee Dee. <laughs>